This is Hong Kong Design Book Club and I'm Soyeon. Welcome to our design book review episode number 5, part 1. Today we're going to review the design of everyday things by Don Norman. Today's key takeaways are Norman doors, affordance and signifier, mapping, feedback, conceptual model, and constraints. This book was the very first book I read when I decided to be a designer and learn more about design theories, and that was a great choice because it has all the fundamentals about human cognition and important design principles. Also, like the other Don Norman books, it has great stories and examples that help your understanding and decent humors that make you laugh. I think this is why people keep loving this book for more than 30 years. The original edition, The Psychology of Everyday Things, was published in 1988, and the yellow, revised and expanded edition was released in 2013 with updated examples and more insights from Don Norman's real experiences in the industry. It's 347-page book with intense content and frankly not easy to finish, but I think this is one of the most important design books and anyone who wants to practice as a UX designer must understand the concepts that this book introduces. When I was a graduate student and studying computer science, I hated using command lines. The worst thing was VI Editor. With this very non-graphical text editor, you need to start an insert mode to write anything. How can I start this mode? I need to enter I to start this mode. I forgot commands all the time and every time I needed to write, break lines, save or even to finish this freaking insert mode, I needed to enter some kind of comments that I have to memorize. The worst part is every time that I can't remember those comments, I feel like I am stupid. Older students used to say, if you can't use VI editor well, you're not qualified as a software engineer. My confidence was crushed, I blamed myself, and eventually I stopped being a software engineer. After reading this book, I could see the problem crystal clear. When people have trouble using technology, especially when they perceive that nobody else is having the same problems, they tend to blame themselves. Worse, the more they have trouble, the more helpless they may feel believing that they must be technically or mechanically inept. When people fail to follow these bizarre, secret rules and the machine does the wrong thing, its operators are blamed for not understanding the machine, for not following its rigid specifications. With everyday objects, the result is frustration. With complex difficulties can lead to accidents, injuries, and even death. It is time to reverse the situation, to cast the blame upon the machine and their design. It is the duty of machines and those who design them to understand people. It is not our duty to understand the arbitrary, meaningless dictates of machines. So it was not that I was stupid. Whoever designed the VI editor didn't understand how human memory works. It was a design problem. Not only with complicated machines or software, people even have trouble opening doors. 
Have you ever pushed a door that's supposed to be pulled or tried to slide when it's supposed to be pushed or just stood still in front of a non-automatic door? Those doors that give you wrong signals are called Norman doors after the name of the author. And if you Google Norman door, you can see a bunch of ridiculous doors. What's the problem here? Doors have the affordance of open ability, but Norman doors do not have enough signifiers. Let's look into these two key concepts, affordance and signifier. An affordance is a relationship between the properties of an object and the capabilities of the agent that determine just how the object could possibly be used. A chair affords support and therefore affords sitting. Affordance represents a possibility or capability in the relationship and the presence of an affordance can be perceived by an agent. This signaling property is called signifier. Those two are easily confused. Again, affordance is the relationship and signifier is the property. The thing that designers need to put on an object to make it understandable, that's signifier, not affordance. Signifiers communicate how to use the design. We can use those terms as the door affords an ability to open. The handle is a signifier that indicates the affordance. Mapping is also an important and powerful design concept. When the mapping uses special correspondence between the layout of the controls and the devices being controlled, it is easy to determine how to use them. Natural mapping is an even more comprehensive way of mapping that uses a special analogy that people can understand right away. In chapter 3, the book explains how people can have two types of knowledge. One is knowledge in the head, aka memories, one is that in the world. When people interact with machines, they combine those two using external knowledge while they recall memories in their head. Look at this example of stove controls with burners. There are only four burners. People only need to remember four things to control and it seems to be easy, but it's pretty difficult to control in a right way when the mapping is badly arranged. If you see A or B, because the controls are in a linear line and stove is in two dimensions, you need to think harder to figure out the relationships. But if you look at C or D, it's easier to understand and people don't need to read an instruction manual to remember the correspondence here because the relationship of the controls to the burner is completely contained in the world. The load on human memory is much reduced. This is the power of natural mapping. Feedback is also an important concept that designers must consider. Have you ever clicked a button on a certain website and there was no reaction, so you just kept clicking until there's some kind of feedback? It usually turns out you don't need to keep clicking, and clicking once at first was enough, but people can't stand a tenth of a second without any feedback. Look at the seven stages of action. When people take action, they go through seven stages. Go, plan, specify, perform, perceive, interpret, compare. Fail to receive feedback 
means the disconnection from the world after perform, so people can't understand what has happened and can't proceed to the next step. This is why feedback is essential, and it must be immediate, informative, and appropriate. Offering a good conceptual model is also designer's job. A conceptual model is an explanation, usually highly simplified, of how something works. Folders icon is an effective example of conceptualization. Even though there are no physical folders inside the computer, when people see the folder-shaped icons, they can understand how they can create, copy, or delete them and add some documents and files in them, just like the real folders. So it doesn't have to be an exact correct reflection of how the system works, it just needs to be helping people understand how they work. When conceptual models reside in people's minds, we often call it mental model. Usually, the device itself offers the conceptual model, but in some cases, people need to construct on their own by reading manuals and some through their experiences. Conceptual models are valuable in providing understanding, in predicting how things will behave, and in figuring out what to do when things do not go as planned. A good conceptual model allows us to predict the effects of our actions. However, defective conceptual models can be misleading, can cause misunderstanding and confusion. How can we complete thousands of pieces of jigsaw puzzle without any detailed manuals? It's because of physical constraints. We observe the pieces, consider physical restriction, and put the pieces where they fit. It's impossible to complete if there are no such restrictions. Designers can intentionally create constraints for better usability. Other than physical constraints, there are cultural constraints that follow cultural norms under a certain society. Semantic constraints that set the boundaries of what we think of as meaningful and sensible and logical constraints that prohibit unlogical alternatives. Constraints are powerful clues limiting the set of possible actions. The thoughtful use of constraints in design lets people readily determine the proper course of action, even in a novel situation. That's it for today. We covered some of the important design principles based on how human cognition works. That was almost half of the book. Next time, I'll cover the rest and introduce various types of human errors and theories and applications of design thinking. Enjoy our other book reviews such as Sprint by Jake Knapp and Ruined by Design by Mike Monteiro. If you liked this episode, please like it and subscribe us. Thank you.